In decades past, you opened a business, hung out your shingle, and the customers came. Today, hanging out your shingle means creating an engaging website. The modern consumer is using the internet to find businesses like yours. Are you positioned so you'll rise to the top of their search? Let the Radio Vermont Group Digital Services work with you to make sure you're visible online and to target your marketing to location, demographic, and interest. Learn more at rvgdigital.com. Good morning. This is Brad Perlin, your Monday host for Vermont Viewpoint here at Historic WDEV in downtown Waterbury, Vermont. Just had a nice chat with Megan Sullivan. She's Vermont Chamber of Commerce Vice President of Government Affairs. A lot of business stuff out there that needs uh, needs tending to employment, housing, uh, recovery from floods. Uh, we don't want a government shutdown. There's a, just a whole bunch, and the Vermont Chamber does a great job of keeping track of the issues and uh, informing legislators of things that are important to all of us uh, Vermonters who, who live and work here every day. Uh, my next guest I'm very excited about. Uh, we met by email initially. I had read or heard about a, an upcoming book that was not quite published. And uh, uh, Greg Overacker um, is the author of The Hunt for Brianna Maitland. And it's a new book that's just released. Uh, welcome to the show, Greg. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great having you. Uh, listeners, I get authors from time to time that I interview, and uh, they often provide me with a book, and I get to uh, sort of peruse it a little bit, but I, I often don't have the time. But Greg was real uh, sort of wanted me to to read the book and uh so over the weekend i and and believe me it was easy to do once i got into it uh i read the whole book and he, he told me emphatically uh don't skip ahead follow uh chapter by chapter and wait for the ending and i did that and it's a remarkable book uh it's called the hunt for brianna maitland uh can you tell us a little bit about sort of just the the very beginning of, of Brianna Maitland and what happened to her? And then we'll talk a little bit more about sort of your past and how you got to be involved. Yeah, so Brianna Maitland was working at the Black Lantern Inn in Montgomery. Uh, she left work at 11.20 p.m. Two minutes away, her car was found, crashed and abandoned into a, uh, a boarded-up home known as the Dutchburn Home. Uh, it's named after the, the prior occupants, um, and no one's seen her since. Um, I came into the case two years after the fact, but um, it's a long... The facts of her case are pretty basic, but once you look deeper, it's very complicated. And so you're... Uh Part of your professional career was as a bounty hunter. Is that yeah. correct? Yeah, I started doing that in my twenties. Yeah, and uh, in in the beginning of the book, you talk about um, going after someone, and and you methodically climbed up on the roof and put something on the fireplace, and you essentially smoked him out. But yeah. he 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 had a different idea about 
whether he would be captured or not, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I get a lot of comments about that story. You know, when I started out, I, uh, you know, I live in a small town in upstate New York and the bail bond industry isn't huge in New York state. So I traveled a lot. I would advertise nationwide. Um, you know, this is back when I would order phone books from cities and advertise in those cities and stuff like that. And I joined an organization, a national organization, and advertised through them. But uh, I ended up traveling a lot up and down the East Coast and ended up working for a man named Scott Churchill in New Jersey and uh, spent a lot of time there. And uh, it was a wild experience. I did it for about two years full-time, but I did it part-time for a long time prior to that and after. Um, but people seem to enjoy those stories. I honestly didn't want to put anything about myself in the book. I didn't want it to distract from Brianna's story, but you had to. I mean, I gave it to a test audience initially, about a dozen people, and they all said, you have to do this or no one's going to know why or who you are, why you wrote the book. And uh, we won't do too many spoiler alerts here, but you uh, got the person to leave the cabin or the house that he was in, and but some bullets came flying out your yeah. way, right, in the dark? Yeah. That was an all-night chase through the woods. Yeah. Young and stupid. Do you get <laughs> to a point where you are in the woods, it's dark, you know that guy has a gun, and you go, uh, is this a good idea or not? It, it wasn't a good idea. <laughs> Young and foolish, but it was, uh, you know, it, it, it was a, a crazy way to make a living. And, you know, there's... In the business, when you get to know other guys that are doing this and you network and, you know, I used to go to Las Vegas to the professional bail agency in the United States would have conferences there and you meet guys who have worked for years in the business. Um, everybody has their own story to tell. If I had lived in a metropolitan area, my experience would have been completely differently, you know, different. But I would get calls from down south and stuff. They would look for people to return their skips back down south. That's how that business kind of works, you know what I mean? Yeah. So they wouldn't send somebody up here unless they had to. They would call somebody that lived here. Did you have any initial training for the job or you just felt, hey, this is I, something I can do? Well, I, I got involved in it and then I went and I took some training classes and stuff like that. And I worked with some real pros. Um, I mentioned Scott Churchill, my mentor. Real pro, pro guy's legendary. Um if you think that's a crazy story, you should hear some of his. Uh -huh. It's just amazing. And is this a licensed industry? So when I started out, it wasn't. Well, at least not in New York State, which changed. Um, so it is licensed now. If you're a private investigator, you're grandfathered in. I think they're just looking for you to have a certain amount of you know, experience and professionalism. But each state was different. We used to, back then, we would refer to different states when it came up. Uh, you know, you go into whatever state. People would say it's it's open country, meaning, you know, the laws. There was no licensing or whatever. Um, but, you know, even back then, too, I had to get separate pistol permits for different states. Now you can go and you can get, like, a, a Utah permit, which is reciprocal in a lot of different states. But it was a lot of work. You know, I mean, if you had to go someplace you hadn't been, you had to go research the laws. And, you know, pre-Internet, that was, that was work. You had to do your homework. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And everything's at your fingertips now. And a place like Massachusetts, uh, you can't even carry a gun, most people, uh, right? Massachusetts, you can't do bail arrests either. Okay. Um, it's uh, what they refer to it as uh, Commonwealth law. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
We didn't talk off air. I meant to ask you, I've, I've read probably 25 books by an author by, uh, Janet Ivanovich who writes about a bail bondsman who's sort of, uh, this woman who apprehends and, and sort of stumbles through it. But yeah. this is serious business. Oh, you're, yeah. you're, this is life and death kind of business, isn't yeah. it? I can remember when I started, my older brother, who's since passed away, he looked at me and he said, what are you talking about? This doesn't exist. I said, yeah, it does. And I just took off, went out on the road and came back a while later and <laughs> had a paycheck and he couldn't believe it. He just, yeah, it's, but it wasn't, it, down when I went down and worked in New Jersey, it, I mean, you could walk for blocks along Bell Bond Row and there was office after office after office. So it was a common thing down there and it was understood. Here in New York State, you know, you'd have one or two in Syracuse, one or two in Albany, stuff like that, a few in Buffalo. So it wasn't the same. California had thousands. Colorado had thousands. And did you do any bail bonds in Vermont over, over that no, time? No, Scott Churchill, the, the man who I worked under, had offices in Vermont for a while. I don't think he still does. He's got offices in Pennsylvania too, New Jersey. Yeah, uh, we're talking this morning with Greg Overacker. He is the author of The Hunt for Brianna Maitland. Uh, it's the pursuit of answers to one of Vermont's biggest mysteries. Uh, uh, Brianna was 17 years old, right. um, had been working at the, the Black Lantern Inn in Montgomery. Really a, Small Franklin County yeah. uh, community where m- people knew each other, right? And, yeah. and that became part of the story for you. So that became difficult. You know, when I came up here initially to, to look around, um, I just couldn't believe how sparsely populated it was. I just wasn't used to that, you know. Normally, and as you read in the book, you know, I would go travel to different cities and I always ended up seeing the really rotten parts of those cities to come up here and there's just nothing around up there but um yeah and then there's this huge rumor mill which is natural um so the book was partly to dispel all those beliefs and i and i got a huge response about it that uh people were happy to hear the facts that's one thing that the reader has to kind of no going in is that it's really heavily fact-based so it's heavy reading you know you're getting dates and times and places and it's facts so if you want to know the truth that's where you're going to get it well it is a great book we're talking with greg overacker the author of hunt for brianna maitland this is uh, the disappearance of brianna maitland on march 19th 2004 Working at the Black Lantern Inn, a, a really high-end inn in in Montgomery, and for those familiar with Montgomery, Montgomery is unless you're going to Jay Peak, you're probably not going to go to Montgomery, uh, or you're you're going to maybe get a bed and breakfast or an inn or something there, uh, but it's not really a destination place, and uh, it's a local community. Uh, and that's really part of the book, Greg. Uh, you were brought in. Let, let's talk about that. How, how did you even get involved in this case? I was on the New York State Thruway, and I saw Brianna's poster. I was with my daughter, and she went in the bathroom. I was on her like a hawk. She was a little girl. 
and um, you know, I've been in thousands of police stations from you know here to Florida. And you, when you go in, they have those boards of the posters up and stuff. It's just amazing how many people are missing. It's mind blowing when you see the facts about it. So uh, I reached out to them. It was uh, Class Kids produced the poster. Class Kids was started by uh, Mark Class's daughter Polly was abducted and murdered in California, and. Um, they passed a message along, and Kelly called me, Brianna's mother, and asked me to get together with them. They were living in Governor at the time, and I went and sat with them. And um, at the time, Bruce was so disenchanted with what was going on, Brianna's father, that he was so devastated and just, you know, all these demoralizing efforts to try to find her. They had moved to where they were just outside the news coverage area so that they could kind of live a normal life and they could still come back and deal with the police and do searches and stuff and um, so from there we just kind of took it from there Bruce was so upset that he he didn't want to talk a lot he he just figured it was another nothing thing you know and people would come to him and offer themselves to help him and then they would leave but he and I got close over the years and uh Still at it. So you you mentioned you saw lots of posters in lots of police stations and lots of venues. Oh yeah. But this one, why was this one different? What attracted you to this one case, this one effort? I don't know. And I said to my kid, I said, memorize that, you know. And she did the contact information, which was funny. And um, I don't know. I mean, it's always felt like something. It's something I'm supposed to be doing, so I just always stuck with it. I took a little break around 2011. Um, I had gotten into, an, into a relationship and just kind of got distracted, but I always stayed in touch with Bruce. And then, um, but it always felt like something I was supposed to be doing. And uh, you know, the book is the product of we need direction, so. We want the public's help, and we want people to read the book, and we want people to help us. Well, and we'll get into that. Uh, we're we're talking this morning with Greg Overacker. I invite uh, callers if you you know remarkably know something about the case, or you have questions for Greg. Please give us a call at eight zero two two four four seventeen seventy seven. Greg, the uh, the event happened on March 19th, 2004, later in the night, and the investigation really didn't kick off right away, right? There was some slowness no. to it. Yeah, so um, the car was started to be spotted around midnight, so she left work at 11.20. The car is literally two minutes down the road. Uh, there's witnesses around midnight. Um, there's four witnesses that we know of in the overnight hours. Then uh, a group of three people stop and see it in the morning and stop and actually take photographs. Um, the police, someone eventually contacts the police, and they come by about one in the afternoon. Um, but in that time frame, there there had to be a lot of people that passed by and saw it there, um, just passing by. It's really prominently on the side of the road. But... um. Yeah, so there was witnesses and stuff. But um, 
it's it's kind of a long story explained in the book how she's Brianna wasn't living at home. She was kind of living with friends and stuff like that, going back and forth to different friends' houses. She didn't have a whole lot of really clear continuity to her life. So she was staying at a friend's and the friend's father. Um, and she had left a note saying that she would be home after work between 10 and midnight. Um, the friend she was staying with went to St. Albans and spent the weekend with her sister. And when she came back home, uh, I believe it was on Sunday night, she saw the note had, hadn't been disturbed. Uh, it was just still sitting there. So she ends up contacting the Maitlands. The Maitlands call the police. But then they start to look around and try to locate Brianna, go to friends' houses and stuff like that. They end up going to the police. And uh, eventually, I think it's on Thursday. So, you know, you've got from Friday to Thursday there where no one's active. The police aren't actively looking for her. And, uh, and that kind of continues for a little bit, which is explained in detail. Yeah. And the, I mean, often in... Is this considered a crime scene, first of all, or just a disappearance? Initially? Yeah. Well, when the trooper pulled up and saw the car, he um, picked some things up off the ground and threw them in the car. Um, she had paychecks on the seat from the Black Lantern. So uh, he had the car towed. So there was no, you know, it wasn't treated as a crime scene. So because of that, you know, there's a lot we don't know. Um and then he continued on to the Black Lantern Inn to check and ask about the car and the driver. Um, they were closed, and he ended up going on a long weekend. So nothing happened. Mm. You know, the alarm wasn't raised. Um, yeah. So March 19th, 2004, Montgomery, winter in Vermont. Uh, any idea if there were tracks into the field, if nothing. there was blood on the ground. Nothing like that, no. Nothing like that. No. There's some debris on the ground, which is odd because it, people wouldn't normally stop there. It was an abandoned home on a kind of a sharp bend. Um, uh, and, uh, Greg, you, you mentioned an abandoned home, but it's part of your book. It's it's the Dutch Burn house, which was famous in, in its own right because – these two Dutchburn brothers lived there, yeah. and uh, what, what happened to them? Oddly, there was a, a violent event there prior. They, these two elderly men lived there. They had farmed all their lives, and their whole life, you know, centered around that home and that that farm. And um, someone did a home invasion, and and uh, they went into the hospital. They came back and lived there for a while, and eventually went into nursing homes and passed away. It's very tragic. Yeah, very tragic. And and the backstory to that as well is the Dutch Burns, and this speaks to what you talk about in the book, local community. Well, the Dutch Burns were known to carry large amounts of cash yeah. or have them around. Yeah. So those kind of things get around, I guess. Oddly, that's how the, the guys that did the home invasion got caught. They went to, a, I believe it was a car dealership, and... Um, the money that they had stolen smelled because they would have it in the barn in their overalls. And um, they got caught because of that. That's interesting. I think um, you referenced Champlain Chevrolet and Enosburg as, as the car dealership, and uh, which is a farm community. So yeah. it's everybody's a detective, I guess, in some <laughs> yeah, way, right? Small community, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so – 
you, like you said, there's an irony here. Here's the Dutch burn house that has had a, a, a really violent crime. And then, uh, Brianna's car is what might, one might say violently backed up right into the house, sort of shattering the house. It is. It's punched right into the house, yeah. In one of the photos that's in the book, you can see that the back of the car is lifted off the ground. It's actually hung up on the – it looks – appears to be hung up on the foundation. In and a, the plywood that was over the window fell down on the back of the car. Amazing. And, and I mean, you must have thought about this day in, day out, 3 a.m., 4 a.m., how the car got into that position. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Do you have a sense of that now, all these years later? You know, I think the most realistic uh, theory behind that is that, uh, you know, there was an altercation there. That's where she was removed from the vehicle. She leaves work. It's two minutes away. Why she stops there, nobody knows. But um, it seems like an aggressive maneuver to, to get out of there where she backed up and hit the building and then couldn't proceed to turn the other way and, and get out of there. When the car's the last person to see the car overnight, the, the, both doors are open, the lights are on, blinkers on. Um, so it looks like she was taken in haste. And um, it almost appears as though someone opened the passenger side door maybe to get access to her or opened her driver's side door to get access to her. And she traversed the seat and went out the other door because both doors are open. It's a big old boat of a car, you know. Um, I, I mean, I would think she probably met someone there, but I don't know that for a fact. But it's it's not uh, it's not just an accident. The book is just out. Uh, Greg encouraged me to read it. I finished it yesterday, and getting to the last page, going. Oh my God. Wow. Okay. Uh, so we are here to talk about the book and we welcome your call. If you have questions for Greg, give us a call 802-244-1777. Uh, this is a story of, uh, the disappearance of Brianna Maitland. Uh, she left her job at the Black Lantern Inn a mile and a half from there. Her car was found. Both doors uh, were open, blinker was on, and no Brianna. And uh, my guest, uh, Greg Overacker, has been following this for years. He uh, he met uh, the parents of Brianna, Bruce and Kelly Maitland, and uh, it's become part of his uh, his life and his journey. And this book is really about uh, a much greater story of uh, really a an underworld, so to speak, Greg, that um, is out there and is real. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the um, the people that you talk about in your book weaved into that. Can yeah. you tell us a little bit about about that and maybe some of the characters you experience? Um, well, one of them is, uh, and this is this comes up all the time for people who know the cases, the story of Ellen Ducharme, who uh, in 2004. Uh, killed a girl in Burlington and um, her sister had given a statement to the police saying that her sister and some other people were involved in the death of Brianna Um, so that it goes into that in depth Um, 
there's so much misinformation out there, and it's funny when you look at things on the Internet and you read through the comments, there's a ton of misinformation, or people don't misunderstand the story or they get part of it right and part of it wrong. This is the actual story, and it's taken from police reports and court records and my personal experience. One of the, There's a few things, if I could go back, I, could, I would change in the book, and one of them is the beginning of her chapter. It says um, all this information can be found publicly through you know, records requests and stuff like that. Well, that's that's not entirely true because some of it was came from experience. But um, you know, I've I've gone to the home where uh, Ellen killed this girl, and, and I've talked to people that were involved in it and stuff like that. And so it, that story gets super involved, and in, uh, and I always get a lot of comments when people read that chapter from you. You even said, "Wow, I didn't realize this took place." and and how brutal it was. And, and, you know, I made a couple of mistakes um, by contacting some people who were uh, victims, um, family members and stuff that I regret because it's it's traumatizing for them. And, you know, I apologized to them. And I, I, I approached it right, but it doesn't matter. It was just traumatic for them. And, you know, some things you should just stay away from. But that's a horrific story. And uh, and then, of course, there was the offshoot of that, uh, and I don't want to give it away, but there's a man involved who still walks the streets of Burlington who was involved in two murders. He he helped dispose of, of Legia Collins' body, the girl that uh, Ellen killed. But somehow Ellen brought Brianna into her story. Um, why, we don't know. Um, but it, but we had to investigate it because she brought it. She opened that door. Right. Yeah. And and you were torn. You you mentioned talking to potential what we would call witnesses or observers of a of an incident. You must have been torn. You you have to really follow the leads, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm not that guy that wants to go. You know, poke someone's wounds. Yeah. And totally innocent person who's gone through traumatic thing. That's just not my. Uh, I'm not good at that. Yeah, I, I am struck by the fact that you have built up a relationship with uh, Bruce and Kelly Maitland, and it's, there's a lot of trust involved in all of that, um, but for the greater good. Now, one of the things we haven't talked about is, um, and I was astounded by this, this event occurred March 19th, 2004. It's in Little Montgomery, Vermont, a place I'm familiar with. I'm a lifelong Vermonter. Uh, and the, the, the unsavory drug world was, um, somewhat alive and well. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. There's a crack cocaine epidemic going on at the time when she went missing. It really destroyed a lot of people. Um, you know, and as you know, right now we have a huge drug problem going on everywhere. It's just killing people left and right. Um, but yeah, the kids kind of went through and ripped everybody apart and, you know, um, when you talk to people up there, they say there's not a lot for the kids to do up here, and it's kind of drugs are an escape, you know. Um, so, yeah, and Brianna had exposure to some really unsavory people because of that, and there were people that went up there and set up shop specifically just to sell drugs. That's the only reason they were there. They would come up from, like, Springfield or New York City or whatever. They'd come up to these beautiful areas, you know, 
rent an apartment and start selling drugs. And you're referencing Springfield, Mass, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. So uh, you talk about um, Brianna was one of many, right? There were there was a lot of peers in her age group who partied, who oh, yeah. who did what kids do, right? right? Yeah, sure. She wasn't unique to the group in any way that you you understood, right? You know, it's funny. I came to town last night and I went out to dinner with um, Shauna LaBelle, who's a close friend of Brianna's, a really close friend, and her sister Andrea, and uh, Shauna's fiance Charlie. We had a nice talk about Brianna and um, in the book. And uh, you know, Shauna spent the last uh, well, she spent a lot of time with her, but she was with her specifically the last three or four nights before she went missing. And those pictures are in the book. So we actually have pictures from the night prior to her disappearance in the book, um, which is huge. Um, but, yeah, you know, there were certain people, Shauna being one of them, that, that wasn't in that drug culture. You know, they they stayed away from it. And um, it almost seems like that was kind of rare. There was a... Um We'll call it similar or not similar incident in uh, New Hampshire with a woman by the name of Maura Murray. Can you give us a little bit about that? Yeah, so Maura um, uh, was a college student in Massachusetts, and no one that knows her, her family or friends has any idea why she would travel, you know, specifically why she would travel up to uh, Woodsville, New Hampshire. And uh, she got in a small car crash, went off the road. And, um, you know, neighbors called the police and she disappeared in minutes before the police showed up. Um, so, you know, and it was February 9th, 2004, Brianna went missing March 19th, 2004. They're both in, you know, sparsely populated, uh, in North country areas. They're 90 miles apart, but, um, you know, up here, that's, that's relatively close, you know, with a sparse population. Um, so at first glance, you know, they, they look a lot alike. There's a car crashed and abandoned on the side of the road and young girls missing so, in, in the time frame. So they've always kind of been associated with each other. And, um, you know, initially the police came out, uh, the Vermont state police went to New Hampshire and sat down with them and they had FBI listening in and they came out and gave a public release saying, you know, we don't think these two things are related. But um, I think I make pretty interesting points about that in the book. And, uh, you know, there's a chapter that breaks them both down and compares them. And uh, Maura's sister, Julie, um, had input on that and helped me out with the facts and um, wrote a note at the end of the chapter. It's uh, it's a very interesting part of the book, reading that uh I want to return to something in the book. In the very beginning of the book, Greg, you talk about um, just statistics of abduction and and disappearances and that. And it, it's not like this is small figures. This is lots and lots and lots of people. Um, yeah. um, do we not hear about it enough or is it just it's because it's so global in the United States that we only hear about the local ones? I don't know. I mean, if it's, I've got kind of a skewed perspective of that, I guess, because, you know, it's my interest and it's what I do. But um, 
Yeah, when you start looking at the statistics, it can be a little mind-blowing. You just look at statistics of runaways, stuff that people don't imagine, you know. Um, and then they fall into different categories, too. You have people with, you know, Alzheimer's or disabilities that go missing. and um, But the number of young, especially young women, that go missing. Is... And then the direct correlation to the drug world, is that one of the big impetus here? Yeah, I don't know. Um, you know, I think in Brianna's case, uh, so there was an incident where uh, the police came out in the beginning and said that Brianna had ties to the drug culture and in the area, and that was kind of the cause of her disappearance. It's it's discussed in the book. Um, it was an absolutely rotten thing to say about a child that's missing, a 17-year-old child. And I think that took the mystique out of her disappearance where, you know, Maura Murray's case gets a, a lot more uh, media attention because I think that rather consciously or subconsciously, they t- it took the mystique out of it. People just say, oh, it was drugs. Mm-hmm. And she was a kid. And I think that gets lost in the shuffle with her case, that she was a kid. Um the kind of character assassination, you know. Right. Yeah. Um, we can't catch anybody, but boy, she was just, she was involved in something nefarious. Yeah, well, so. She's involved in something bad, so it's her own, whether he meant that or not. It was just a, a comment that he should have kept among his peers. He should have, you know, it would have been better off if he had just discussed it that way among his peers instead of publicly. The book, uh, outlines uh, predators of interest, very detailed, and it, it's fascinating to read, I, I will say that. Um, you methodically broke down because there were there was rumor mill. You, you told me this off air. There, everybody had an opinion about what yeah. happened, right? Yeah. And and you, you started tracking things down, and what happened? You you know, with most of the time when people tell you something and you look into it deeper, it's it's natural. Even if you try not to do it, it's natural to tell things to, to fit your narrative. Um, as far as, you know, people saying this one was involved, that one was involved, I think this was happening, I think that was happening. You, when you ask them why, they don't really have concrete reasons. There's no facts behind it. There's just something that they're guessing at. So you end up chasing all these things down and finding out there's nothing to it. Um, the predators of interest in there are really interesting, especially in a, I think in Vermont, it's, it's different because, you know, it's not a big population. So people are familiar with things that are going around all around the state. And, but I did meet people who said, I never heard of this happening before. I didn't know that this guy did this, like the man that killed the girl in Stowe, um, which was a big deal. And he attacked uh, another woman who uh, worked for the Burlington Free Press in his home. He had worked for the newspaper, and she had come there to do paperwork with him, teach him how to bill for his work. And uh, he got up to get a glass of water and hit her in the head uh, from behind. And she fought him off. But um, And that's a really interesting story because the, the girl that he killed, her parents ended up getting Vermont to start their DNA database which found her their daughter's killer. Mm-hmm. So that was, uh, that was interesting. And subsequently, uh, there have been a number of uh, crimes that have been, uh, they've found who did it, even if the person is dead, but through yeah. the database, which yeah. is remarkable. 
there were actually politicians that fought against having that database. Uh huh. If you can believe that. Yeah. I can always believe that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the, the book, um, for our listeners, it, it walks us through, uh, Greg's, um, career as a bounty hunter in the beginning, getting involved. And then, uh, you, you chased down, you, you were part of your role, as I understood it or understand it is you, in a small community, there was a lot of rumor flying. There was a lot of conjecture about things. And you methodically in the book, you look at each piece and you say, is, is this part of it or is this not part of it? Right. Yeah. It's difficult. But again, I mean, it's just natural that people, rumors evolve and, and there's nothing to them. And this is an open case, right? Yes, absolutely. And do you have hopes right now of, of what this book will do in terms of uh, maybe reigniting the effort? Yeah, that was the purpose of the book. Absolutely. Get somebody to talk. Yep. Yep. Um, you can actually watch an episode on um, a Discovery ID channel show called um, Disappeared about Brianna. I forget what episode it is. It's listed in the book. But – um. It's short, but it's it's a good episode and give you an idea, too. And, of course, read the book. And, of course, Very read the detailed. book. And Very detailed. How do they get the book, Greg? So I <coughs> used a very small publisher uh, located in the Adirondacks. Incredible guy, one of my favorite authors, and he was fantastic to me. His name's Lawrence Gooley. Um, and he's got some great books out, too, if you go to the website – uh, he's got a book on uh, called Terror in the Adirondacks about a, a serial killer in the Adirondacks and uh, the escape from Dannemora, which was phenomenal. But um, if you just Google the hunt for Brianna Maitland, it'll come up. It's called Bloated Toe Enterprises. It's a reference to hiking. Um, Lawrence Gooley. Or you can look up my name, the hunt for Brianna Maitland. And I sell it to people, you know, through my Facebook page. If you want to look me up on Facebook, I'll sell you, uh, send you a signed copy but um yeah i didn't put it on amazon or anything like that i mean i'm a, I'm a one-man show you know yeah they may be after you in a while though yeah <laughs> <laughs> they like good yeah. books and this is a good book but yeah if you looked that up just buy it right from my publisher ah, incredible people wonderful people yeah and, and greg mentions his publisher these two books uh terror in the adirondacks and Anybody who hasn't been living under a rock, Escape from Dannemora, true story, manhunt of two, uh, two, two gentlemen who escaped from, uh, Dannemora is absolutely fascinating. Uh, so there's a lot of good reads here. Greg, we've only got a, a minute or two left. I'm, how about you with your bounty hunter? You're, you're working on some of the, the most gruesome stuff in the world. The Brianna Maitland thing is emotionally um, – it's a dark side of our society. Do you do you still have optimism in in your life and joy? And uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting work, but I know I keep it – it is what it is. I get obsessed on and off with Brianna's case, and I think it's a good thing, though. Yeah. Um, there – for those of us on the other, you know, who don't do this work, we, we do believe that good comes. And, and I will say that 
you're part of that good because this is something that is haunted. I put this on my Facebook page yeah. last night that I was interviewing you. The response was overwhelming. Yeah. People have a connection to this and they want it. Everybody wants to know what happened. You know, I think this hangs like a black cloud over the North country. Yeah. You know, people need to come to terms with it. And, and, uh, the kids up there, of course, they're not kids anymore. They're young adults. They're in their 30s. And uh, it's part of their childhood, you know. For sure. A whole community, a whole um, – so there's definitely more. And, and the book ties in, you know, the Dutchburn house uh, in two different ways. The car was there. Uh, the two elderly Dutchburn men were uh, assaulted brutally by a home invasion uh, a young woman by the name of Maura Murray is uh, one moment she's there. The next moment, they, there's no trail at all. And uh, Greg makes the connections and uh, how, how this all works. really want to thank you for being here on the program. Great book, The Hunt for Brianna Maitland. Uh, it's a it's a must read if, if you're local and you want to know more. And read it straight through all the way to the end. You won't believe it. This is Brad Furlan, Vermont Viewpoint, WDEV. I'll see you next Monday.